case. Look that one up, but uh, it's a good one. <laughs> you have to, you're going to have to look up at least two of the three words in his job title. <laughs> Welcome to Cloud Realities, a conversation show about what cloud-driven transformation really means for businesses and humans. I'm Dave Chapman. And I'm Shao Kazal. And this week, we'll be hearing about why styles and intentional leadership choices and ways of working are critical to really drive new value from the use of the cloud. And joining us this week is Alistair Kidd, systemic leadership Sherpa and friend of mine, but also alumni of my previous podcast called Cloud Busting. I'm going to give a quick shout out to the Cloud Busting team. So Dan Dan, producer man, Ben the ultrasound guy, and Holly the live show maven. And of course, Jeff, my co-host. Missing you guys. Alistair, great to see you. How are you? I'm really good. Thank you. It's brilliant to see you again and your new colleagues. Well, Shalk, Alistair and I know each other from previously. We've worked together a little bit, haven't we, Alistair, over the course of the last couple of years? We've worked together quite a bit for yeah. 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 And we've certainly had lots of coffees and 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 and, and beers and stuff together as well. That's why the real work's done, of course. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Also virtually and in person, both? I think we uh, yes. actually have. Yes. Yeah. 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 And we've done some of these kind of things virtually and in person yeah we we have indeed we have a history we have a history on this and and actually one of the things that's interesting about today's subject is that Alistair completely introduced me to this notion that we're going to talk about today um, which connects to how leadership can drive value out of cloud transformations and uh, it started out in a program of mine way back probably in around I'm going to say 2015 16 something along those lines Mm mm-hmm and Alistair was working with me and my leadership team at the time, and we were sat in a difficult meeting, it's fair to say. And it's, it, I think it's the sort of meeting that most people who have done cloud transformations and complex transformations generally will recognize, which is you are being asked to do too much. You don't have the time to do it, and you don't have the empowerment sometimes to do what needs to get done, and you don't have the budget to do what you need to get done. So we were having a, frankly, a force ranking portfolio conversation is probably the best way I can put it. And we were looking at trying to answer a lot of demand that was coming in for our platform development at the same time as, you know, moving that forward in the, in the development steps that we thought we needed to take as well as what our market, if you like, was telling us. And the room was getting increasingly fractious. I think it's fair to say. Um, it was, it was a difficult conversation and I turned to Alistair at the time and asked him if he had any advice because as a team, we weren't really making progress. I mean, we were making whiteboard progress in the sense of we'd, we'd relisted things out in a different order, but we hadn't actually made progress in terms of resolving some of the core issues that I think were visible in the conversation that we were missing. Uh, And Alistair said to me, well, I think you're looking for a complicated solution to a complex problem. Which, you know, caught my imagination, but also it, it it spurred on, I think, a line of inquiry into that. 
question that I've I've been wrestling with actually ever since in a, in a lot of ways. So let's actually start with your perspective, Alice. So how, what were you observing, and and where were you going with that? Well, it's in, I mean, I do. I really I remember that that point, that moment in time, and and actually the other one that I remember is when I was having a conversation with you and some of your your folks around whether we would work together or or or, or not. Mm. And one of them said, ah, so you're going to be our saviour then. And and the joke I made at the time was, because it was round about Easter time in the UK, and I said, well, the last chap that had that title didn't fare very well. So <laughs> n- no, I'm not up for that role. <laughs> no, Wise. But it was a sort of reflection of a mentality of, a, right, of let's bring in more traditional expertise to fix things. And even the framing of the question that you turned to me with, Dave, is, have you got any advice? Mm. And I had sort of set myself up as I'm not going to try and understand all this detail. I'm just going to sense into what's going on in this. So that comment I made wasn't pre-prepared. It was, there's a whole load of noise around here. How is this landing with me? These folks are in complexity. Ah, I can, maybe this is what's going on. You've got this traditional expert consulting, whatever you want to call it, mentality of everything in the world is complicated, so I'll take a complicated approach to it. Mm. And actually, you're dealing in complexity. So I'm not saying that to beef myself up, but it is a pointer to, I guess, what we'll get onto maybe is some of the traits to work in complexity that are very different to the ones that you need to work well in, in a complicated domain. Well, let's let's perhaps set out some of these definitions, and, I, and I'm really looking forward to Shal hearing some of your points of view on this, being relatively fresh to at least our version of this conversation. Um, so, I, I believe that the definitions came from um, something called the Kinefin framework. Yeah, so this is a framework created by David Snowden. I, I, there's an H uh, Harvard Business Review paper. It goes into way much more detail and depth of expertise than I have. But I think the beautiful thing about it is it's a fairly intuitive framework. Um, And it's distinguishing um, ways of making decisions, ways of navigating in the world, and saying that there are essentially these four domains. One is the obvious or, or controlled or structured. You could view things work in a fairly predictable fashion day after day after day. And if something goes wrong, if it tips into the next domain, which is complicated, then you actually know what to do and you fix it and you bring it back to control. So everything is known in that domain. And then there's the domain of complicated, where things are, are, are unknown, but we know what the unknowns are. And this is like home base for technical experts, whether they're in IT, finance, accounting, consulting. And it's about a place of good practice. And so you bring in expertise and you fix things. And because this is kind of home base for so many people, it's the lens with which we kind of choose to look at most things. It's the world of predict and plan. It's the world of traditional project management, if you like. The problem is so much of what we're doing in the world now is to do with complexity either because it's enforced from outside or we're working internally in an area of complexity or, or what we're about is complex. And so a lot of what you, you, you talk about, Dave, is about transformation and transformation to the cloud. Um, and that's inherently complex. 
And you can't predict and plan in that world. You have to move to something that's more emergent, move to kind of sense and respond. And your world is full of unknown unknowns. And there's a fourth domain beyond that where the world is chaotic and it's just unknowable. But most of the time, what you and I have been talking about is that shift or recognizing you're not in a complicated world, you're in a complex world. What is the best way to lead and navigate in, in that domain? Shalkia, I'm fascinated to hear how that resonates with you and, you know, being somebody who's so, is so deep into cloud technologies and gone through, like, as you described on the, one of the last shows, a journey yourself to get to, you know, working in cloud. Does complexity resonate with you? Yeah, it does. Yeah. And I also uh, recognize that um, leadership is trying to solve that in ways that they are used to do it in the old ways. So... And, and that it is extremely difficult for them to make that change to approach it from a different, different angle. So I'm also very curious, how did you do that during your sessions together? What was the change or what was the advice that you gave them, uh, Alistair? So one of the things that we started to do, um, because this is where a lot of the complexity was coming from, were, was twofold. One was about an understanding of the complexity of the system that they were in and some of the, the hidden dynamics of the system, the forces that were in effect unconsciously or in hidden ways working against what they were trying to do. They were trying to make a fundamental shift in the system and systems will try and stay the same. They'll look for stability. And so they were, they were fighting against the system in a way that they didn't really understand. And the other thing was about an appreciation of the human dynamics. Because an organization and people are inherently complex, especially when you're trying to bring in substantial change to the ways that they the ways that they work and what their roles look like and what some of the senses of identity and success factors might be. So we one of the things we did, we, we spent a lot of time mapping the system and using some um, techniques called constellations, but are essentially a way of mapping the system and getting a, a somatic, a bodily sense of where are we in the system? What do these forces look like? I, I remember one occasion we did a tabletop thing and we did it with some little plastic figures and mm. I don't know, probably bits of plastine, plasticine and things. And one of the key, maybe the most key stakeholders in this mapping that they created was standing way out on the edge. So a long way mm. relatively from Dave and his team and from other stakeholders. And uh, there was a realization among some of the team. They just looked at it. Ah, we haven't engaged properly with that person, or that person has got an entirely different perspective on what we're trying to do from what we think. And so there needed to be a different way of engaging with them. That is interesting. Yeah. And how did you experience that, Dave? So for me, the first thing I probably would observe is that, to Alice's point, I was living in the world of the complicated. So, and I was doing that unconsciously and everything that I was responding to and a lot of the things that were sort of pushing my buttons and my responses to those were from 20 years of training in complicated techniques. And by that, I mean waterfall methodologies and the way that hierarchies function in organizations and the way that governance operates in those large organizations. We're, we're all driving a certain set of approaches. And the, so the, my first response was to actually become conscious of that. Just like, oh, 
hang on a second, like, there is another way to do this. It's a little bit like, you know, when Neo comes out of the Matrix, it was like you, you're sort of recognizing that you're functioning in one reality, but actually the situation requires a wholly different framing and a wholly different perspective on what's going on. So I think that was the first thing. There was like a, a it kicked off a real personal learning journey. I think that I sort of I almost feel like I'm still on. Like one of the reasons I keep returning to this as a subject is I'm sort of endlessly fascinated by it because once you have it as a framing mechanism, when you're talking to like customers or colleagues or whoever it might be, you can see very quickly using it as a framing mechanism why things might be working or might not be working. Second element for me then was starting to use it and a, and a different approach to uh, leadership and decision-making, which then helps you drive to value. So for example, instead of a sort of frankly, slightly meaninglessly force ranking a list of things and making judgments in that room about whether we do, you know, number one, number six, or number nine, it was more about, well, actually, let's test that. So it's using the the sort of the market test and then response and then iterate model that exists in the complex domain and then working out mechanisms to do that. So, you know, what could that look like for our program and how do we do that? Now, of course, you, you know, you may be ahead of me, but that lends itself very naturally to agile. And we were sort of doing agile, if you like, but we were doing it in the way that most people do, which is there was the odd stand up. And, you know, that was about it, really. The rest of it was probably all being managed in more like a waterfall way, or if I'm being kind, like a agile type of way. You still had some yeah. project managers and budgets and uh, upfront, yeah. yeah. Exactly. And and they were yeah. owning all the decision-making. Yeah. So the decision, the decision-making hadn't been put down into the teams and we hadn't let them properly iterate and make decisions themselves. So we started to take steps into, into doing that. And then, of course, it didn't solve every problem. You, you know, there's still like a million problems to deal with on a, on a daily basis, but you're dealing with them then in, in a way that's much more live. So as they're coming in from uh, project teams and development teams and DevOps teams, you're dealing with them in much more of a stand-up fashion. Like you're dealing with them quickly. Like, what's the issues? Okay, let's go, go, go. You know, you guys do that. Yeah, you guys do that. And the wheels of the thing start to just free up a little bit and it starts to turn a little bit. I think when you look at organizations sometimes that are struggling with a cloud transformation, you know, a lot of these same, same sort of issues are visible. I mean, do you, do you see any of these issues in some of the projects you work on, Shell? Uh, yeah, I see these issues as well. Um, I see agile projects that are not really agile, right? Yeah, exactly. And being or doing through agile projects is extremely hard because you do have a budget. You do have restrictions. So what what is the right balance in that and i think most organizations are still struggling with that or are still uh, looking into ways to solve these types of issues yeah so 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 many organizations maybe sense that they're in complexity they decide that they do agile because that's going to be a solution to working complexity and then they go back and do agile in a complicated way yeah. And they focus yeah. on and they focus on the doing bits, the tools. And and I think what what you were talking about in your first example, Dave, was actually you and your direct reports primarily began to see their roles as different. 
they, they, they adopted a different stance in the world. And that, that, I think, is one of the biggest, the biggest things. I remember talking to one of them who, who was saying that the real trouble just get, getting a task delegated to somebody else. They just never do it um, you know, the, the way that they want it and get it done. And, and I asked him just to talk through, and he was talking about how he had written it even up on the whiteboard. You know, this is how I want it done. And I just said, you know, have you tried giving the, giving the whiteboard marker to that person? And you could just see his face. <laughs> this is a whole new paradigm of how I might function as a leader. That rather than I have the pen and I draw, I hand the pen over. And so one of the ways I think about this is, is, is thinking, being and doing. And so much of what we do is in the doing world. So much of people's approaches to agile is in the doing world. What you've spoken about, Dave, is actually you began to be differently. You saw that the world could be different, that there might be different lenses on them. You didn't know what they all were. That didn't matter. And so you began to think differently. And that ends up showing up in a different level of doing and a more effective way of doing. It really frames the reality that you're looking at. And the decisions that you then take and the steps that you then take forward are surprisingly different. I think that's one of the, yeah. the things that sort of blows me away a little bit is just, is just how different some of these could be. And, and yeah. then also, sorry, go on. I'm just going to say it's beautiful. It, mm. it, it, and and it's, it, 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 becomes, it becomes more elegant. It, 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 it requires less effort. Can I tell you a story about an example from this week. Please. Yeah. So I'm working with this team this week and first session and just an opening exercise, we use this thing called the helium stick, which you may have seen before or not. If anyone hasn't, I've now spoilt it for all future um, facilitators that use this. I'm giving away what it's about. <laughs> but essentially, you've got a very long, very light stick, right? like a fold-up tent pole. Mm. And you get the team to stand opposite each other, fingers out, and in a kind of zip fashion. So you've got alternate um, index fingers. And you place the stick on top of their fingers and tell them that the task is to lower it to the ground and they have to keep it level and they have to keep touching the stick. And, of course, what happens is the stick actually rises because everyone's trying to make sure they keep in contact with the stick. So the stick goes up when they're Uh. trying to lower the stick. (laughs) So we start off and the leader says, I know how to do this. And he did know how to do it. And because he said that, everyone paid attention to him and he gave instructions down, 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 down. And they did it quite quickly. Mm. But that's a complicated world. It's command and control. So I said to them, okay, do it again. But you're not allowed to talk. And the leadership moved to two people that were in the middle because everyone could see them. Right. right. And they nodded. And it was beautiful to watch. And what they reported afterwards was they sensed when to drop. They sensed where the stick was rather than watching the leader. And for Mm. me, that was a great metaphor of, you know, how might you do things in a complicated world? How might you do it in a complex? And the different form of leadership from the single command and control, I know how to do it. And you did to the let's democratize the leadership a bit and let's sense where we need to go. What I love about that is it also has a lovely sort of 
self-organizing nature, a non-hierarchical nature, everybody playing their part and intuiting their part rather yes. than, well, I'm only going to do the five bullet points that are on my job description, yes. you know, as if, as if they're right. Yes. And it was, it was truly beautiful to see it. And it, there was an elegance to it. And that I think is the kind of leadership and not from the one person that might be named leader, the leadership that we need when we're dealing with complexity. Yeah. Leadership from the whole group, trust yes. in your own intuition and your senses. Yeah. Yes. I totally agree on that. Yes. Yeah. And I think when you think about the world that some of these transformations are existing in now, it's only layering, isn't it? Like complexity on complexity. Yeah. I mean, I sort of talk about complexity cubed um, because we have a world that is is highly complex and then and the, our experience of that complexity is is changing by the day mm. um a lot of the stuff you're talking about and a lot of big organizational initiatives are about transformation and true transformation is really complex um so real transformation not trying to make the caterpillar faster but the caterpillar becoming a butterfly right. that's transformation that's complex and there are times in that process when actually you don't know what you've got you know, that mm. thing in the chrysalis, what is that? And then we're doing it with people. We're doing it in organizations, human relational systems, and they are inherently complex. So, yeah, it's, it's you know, layers upon layers, you know, multiplying factors. And within that, it feels like, I mean, I don't know whether it's just like a, you get to a certain age and the world feels hard and you feel like you're known increasingly less every day. So I don't know whether it's, you know, a personal age factor playing into this, but certainly the last, what, five or six years just seems to have been one kind of world event after another that's had sort of seismic kind of ripple effect onto organizations and the people in those organizations. So what advice have you got for leaders that, is, that are trying to weigh up all of these things? Um, breathe. I really mean breathe. Slow down. Because often what's happening is what Jennifer Garvey Berger calls the complexity paradox. We can work with complexity when we can stand off from it. But actually when we're in it and when we waken up one day and find ourselves in it today and we weren't in it yesterday. I mean, just look at, you know, see what's going on in the UK with our all the radical changes in our political and economic system. Yeah. The, the world literally is different for us yeah. one day to the next. Hmm. And so I say we can we can work with complexity, maybe when we can stand off from it. When we're in it, it activates this whole reptilian brain stuff. And we get into this fight or flight reaction. We're looking for an enemy, um, and maybe there isn't an enemy, or if there is, there isn't one to be found. And and so I think one step for leaders is to get into their bodies, to notice what's happening in their bodies, because that's a signal to how they're reacting to slow themselves down, slow down the automatic reactions. And a great way of doing that is simply breathe and take time and be able to navigate their own emotions so that they can be more genuinely present in complexity and not susceptible to that kind of reptilian, ancient fight or flight reaction. Because if otherwise, you know, I don't know, a chief executive showing up 
or, or a CFO, let's say, showing up after we've just had a mini budget and the whole you know value of assets and reserve shifts, mm. they're liable to show up looking for a fight yeah. because yeah. there's an enemy and I've got to find them and kill them. And it might just happen to be the next person that walks into their office. That's what will happen if they're not in command of themselves. And I think she reflects in, in her article that the, the paradox is that complexity itself requires creativity and patience and thoughtfulness and a certain a certain approach to solving through those problems which is the very opposite of the kind of feeling that you've just described right and it's very opposite of the the reaction then that that feeling gives you and i fully recognize that and i know i know that i have felt you know i, I think the example that we started the conversation with was me basically on the verge of a flight or fight type of response. I think that was visible in all the various different people around the table. Yeah. And and we weren't making, you know, we weren't making progress because we weren't espousing some of those other values. Yeah. Yeah. So that, I mean, my biggest tip would be breathe, really just learn to breathe, to take time to breathe, to get to know your body and your emotions and find ways of, of calming yourself and coming back to really being in the now, the very moment of the now and being present in it. And I, I wanted to end the conversation by looking at some like really practical examples of, of this and maybe align it to, to some of some cloud or some other world events. The one I want to start with is one I use often when I'm talking about this, which is um, Amazon.com. Amazon.com, you know, everybody talks a lot about well, they do, you know, X hundred releases a day, you know, and they've got this huge pipeline of releases and they're one of the most um, innovative companies in the world. Now, all of that is, is absolutely true. You know, they've got mechanisms and use of process and use of method and governance and culture and the tech, of course, to be able to perpetuate a massive release cycle and therefore a high rate of innovation. But I think what some people miss in that is they don't leave all of those things out there often they pull those releases back in again, look at those releases and then cobble some of them together and then put something out again. And then they keep tracking that and then they might tweak that. So services like Prime, for example, were developed in that way. Now that to me is a nigh on textbook example of complexity working and sense and respond to your, provoke sense and respond to your market. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's experimenting. It's it's, yeah. it's 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 test and learn. Not be not be ready to it, but you know, put out a probe. Is this going to work? What can we learn from it? What's people's reaction going to be to it? Tweak it, or you know, maybe maybe tweak it, maybe pull it back. Yeah, yeah. and and of course, one of the mistakes people make sometimes when they are firing shots at say the agile methodology is it sometimes can get described as this sort of endless, open ended you know, we're just going to keep throwing money at this until it's finished. But actually, no, there's a huge amount of discipline in what they're doing. They're constantly seeking value. They're constantly appraising for value. And then they're making those iterative decisions based on a next value-based step. So for me, where complexity gets really important when we talk about digital working and cloud-driven transformation is, yes, it gives you all of the framing and, and different ways of seeing the world. But it, But if you think deeply about it, it informs the way you work during the transformation and at the end of the transformation in a constant pursuit of value. Yeah, and the mindset of, you know, the, the, the differentiating between 
I either succeed or I fail in the complicated world to I will experiment and learn. And and that's a difference in mindset that, that people involved in the day-to-day activities need to have, but it's also a mindset that leadership need to have need to have. If you've got leaders that are measuring everything by either success or fail, you're not going to do very well in complexity. You're not going to do very well in agile. And if you translate that to the technical part, if you automate everything that you can automate, it gives you the room to take a step back and mm. to breathe and to experiment mm. further. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Yeah. Beautiful. So Schalke, what's your research found for us this week? This week is also about cloud. So every week I do some uh, research on the recent uh, tech innovations and pink one that I find interesting to share. This week's tech innovation is about Google. They're going to build new cloud regions in six different countries. So during Google Next, uh, the annual cloud computing conference that Google organizes, they announced to build new geographic cloud regions in Austria, Czech Republic, Greece, Norway, South Africa, and Sweden. And these six new Google Cloud regions will bring the company's global network to 49 live and pending regions. So if we compare that to the other two big hyperscalers, AWS now has 27 regions and Microsoft has over 60 regions at this moment. So what's going on there, do you think? What, what, is it just a pursuit of volume or is there something you know, more interesting from a function point, point of view that they're doing? I'm not entirely sure, but I did some research around the geographic locations that they are now um, announcing. And there is a lot of stuff going on in the European region, where also the discussions around sovereign cloud mm. are getting more and more important at the moment. And, and let's just take a second to define that. What, what is, what's sovereign cloud? Oh, I think you can define it in multiple ways. But for me, it is about storing data in certain geographic locations or boundaries. And, and it's, it's regulated, right, in a way that it's, it's not just storing it, but it means you can't store it in certain geographies if you're a particular type of organization, right? Yes. Yeah. So I think sovereign is just going to give those types of organizations who are more restricted by regulation the opportunity to, you know, leverage the cloud in a bigger way, of course, which is which is really what's going on here. It's yes, it's helping those organizations, but it's it's also making the cloud just more leverageable in different ways with different architectures. And is is any of it to do with access to talent and I'm thinking about energy costs and the variability of energy costs around the world? The locations that they're now announcing. Yeah. Yeah, that could be. That could be also one of the reasons, but I'm not sure if it is. What do you think, Dave? I think probably less so. I mean, these facilities are probably quite, you know, giant automated facilities. So it's it, it's not like they're creating, if you like, a an organizational presence in these regions. They're just um, putting in compute power mm-hmm. within geographic boundary. So I think it's 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 a volume play in the sense of it then opens up the cloud to organizations that couldn't possibly have used it when it was say you know on continental america right so i think my read of it is it's probably more to do with that because i think the reality is if you were given a choice about creating the physical infrastructure you would be more consolidated you know you you would you would choose a, a few locations in on each continent and then you'd build 
mega data centers in those regions. There's no reason to have it necessarily distributed. Right. But, but, but the political climate, the geopolitical climate, I think is driving it. That's my read on it. Although on the other hand, sustainability is also on top of the agenda of all the big high, hyperscalers, right? That is absolutely true, as it should be. As it yeah. should be. I mean, what's interesting is that, yes, the, if, if they're opening them, hopefully they are building new facilities that are either sort of carbon neutral or net zero with new technologies that are, that are driving the, the power of those data centers. So there could, there could well be opportunity in this, I think, to refresh infrastructure. Mm. Yes. And, and a bigger opportunity for companies to store their data closer to where they're actually located. That's true. Which That's is true. also uh, good for sustainability. Yes. Good. Yeah. Fair point. Fair point. Fair point. Brilliant. Thanks, Shell. You're welcome. And Alistair, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure and it's always an education talking to you. So thanks so much for making the time today. My pleasure. No, I, I learn as much from it. Fantastic. Thank you. And we always like to end the show by asking our guests what they're excited about doing next. That could be a next big project or a next movie that you want to see. But I'm not sure I'm excited, but as Dave maybe knows, I've got 16, 17 purebred chickens in the back garden. <laughs> and we're now into another of what's called flock down. So from Monday, oh, the chickens have to be housed or netted. So this weekend... I'm putting up a structure to put some netting up to keep the chickens in. That's a rock and roll lifestyle over there <laughs> in Wales, isn't it? It's really in Wales. Thank you very yeah. much. <laughs> well, well, good luck with that. I hope the weather holds out. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah, thank you so much for being on the show, Alistair. And I hope you enjoy your weekend. <laughs> thank you, Shalka. Also, many thanks to our sound and editing wizard, Ben. And of course, to all of our listeners. So we are on LinkedIn and Twitter, Dave Chapman and Shao Kizal. Feel free to follow or connect with us and let us know if you have any ideas for the show. And of course, if you haven't already done that, rate and subscribe to our podcast. So see you in another reality next week.